my, my favorite question for all of them is, and it's all the moment and truth question, what happens when your customer dies? Welcome back, everyone, to the Beyond Now podcast. My name is George Boo. I am a commercial executive here at Acquired.com. Um, today's guest is Richard Bevan. Now, Richard is the current managing director of the Unlike Group. This episode was uh, originally, well, it originally came around because I really wanted to get down into the details of the insurance industry. Um, and I thought of no better guest than Richard. And the reason for that is Richard was the previous COO of Brightside Insurance. Uh, he was a Stonewall trustee an executive director of the Swinton Group and an operations director of the insurance division of the Lloyds Banking Group. So there is no better person to have this conversation with. So without further ado, I'm going to get us into this. So let's go. The purpose of this episode was to really just dig and kind of chew the fat really on insurance. We want to go over kind of the insurance industry as a whole, kind of challenges, uh, opportunities and growth sectors, definitely touch on consumer duty. Uh, I know you wanted to talk about consolidation of brokers um, and then just the digital age of insurance. I think we, you know, I've, I've had plenty, of, I, had, I had plenty of discussions at Bieber this year around kind of the actual insurance industry being or trying to be a lot more in, innovative than it has been in the past. Um, yep. But what we do get into all of that, um, I'd like to get into um, you know, knowing a little bit more about yourself, your experience, your career, and equally providing the listener a little bit more about you. So if you don't yep. mind just going into a little bit about yourself, how did you start in insurance and kind of how are you where you are now as the managing director of the Unlike Group? Okay, super. And um, George, thank you for um, inviting me on. I'm really pleased to be here. The background to me is... Um, <laughs> horrible to say, more than 40 years now in banking insurance and literally half-half um, banking and insurance. So spent many years in Barclays, Bank of New York and uh, and then Reuters. And then um, how did I get into insurance? Completely by accident. Um, I was at, at Reuters and it was headhunter call and it was Lloyd's Banking Group's insurance division, um, the general insurance business looking for a COO. And I thought, hmm, don't know much about insurance, um, you know, no reasonable about financial services, but nothing about insurance specifically. And went to meet um, Andy Briggs, industry um, veteran that we all know, and you know, got on like a house on fire. And you know, uh, a few months later, I became you know the COO of the general insurance business, and I loved it. And kind of realised that you know, insurance was especially general insurance. I'll come on to some other bits, but. That it's it's been sort of in my DNA very quickly, and I've loved it loved it ever since. And and and, and Lloyd's is an enormous home insurer. It's a manufacturer. You know, it distributes in multiple ways, um, and it's very good at what it does. You know, it has typically the best you know combined ratios in the business, um, and you know a lot of customers. And um, it, you know, it's fun. So we had all sorts of things, call centers, and but we were a maker and distributor. And um, it was a, it was a great thing to do. I then ended up um, also running Scottish Widows operations as well for a while, which was um, my sort of foray into life and pensions. And I have to say, um, uh, let's say it wasn't my favourite time of my career. Um, life and pensions wasn't really for me. Um, general insurance, I like the kind of buzz of it and the pace of it and all those things. Um, finished my time at Lloyd's, um, went to join um, Swinton Insurance, which is one of the was one of the largest UK um, you know, retail brokers with the you know, best part of um, 
you know, nearly two million customers. You know, uh, it was in its day predominantly a motor insurance business, but it had you know, a growing home business and a um, uh, you know, and a commercial lines business. So I ran that and led the digital transformation of that business. And we were a branch-based retail broker. We had you know, uh, nearly 5,000 people, um, yeah, it was a big business. And one of the reasons I was hired was to help transform it from that very analog branch-based business into a digital one. And I think, yeah, without blowing smoke uh, where it's inappropriate, but I think we managed to do quite a lot of that together. Yeah, we put a new platform in from a technology point of view. We um, ended up closing all bar 30 of the branches. We ended up with a brand new call center in in Manchester, um, et cetera, et cetera. And yeah, it was a you know, two and a half year marathon um, and never stopped, but we got there. And then we sold the business to, to our Donna group and it's part of their, uh, their business today. Um, then joined another broker called Brightside um, and again, needed some transformation, needed some fixing. And again, it, this one was private equity owned and, and uh, needed to be sold. So um, I was there as COO um, and helped lead the, you know, both running the business and, and and leading the transformation of it and and getting involved in the sales. So that was two two sales. Um, post that, I then set up my own little consultancy firm, which is what Unlike really is. Um, it's a little vehicle for, for my, my consulting efforts. And hopefully, although it's a bit secret squirrel at the moment, um, I'll be back in the saddle at some point. Um, we've got a, um, a plan to um, acquire some uh, broking businesses. So I'm hopeful that um, there'll be news on that, but I can't share anything today because it's all a bit um, all a bit hush hush. But um, I'm, I, ca I can't wait to be to be back in that saddle. Hey, look, great. I think um, we're definitely going to have to revisit and do another episode in six months' time to twelve months' time and see how you're getting on with that adventure. Then, <laughs> what eh? the hell's he up to? <laughs> <laughs> definitely, definitely. Look, so some great experience there and i think i don't think there's a better person that i know of to ask the next question which is you know what challenges have you faced or what challenges do you feel like are happening at the moment in the insurance industry um and yeah just how where have you seen how have they developed what kind what ones are our insurers and brokers facing at the moment that are yeah. kind of top of mind yeah i think um some of the challenges are faced by brokers and insurers. Some are specific to, to to each of them. Obviously, the insurers do the underwriting, so they have their own challenges when it comes around to claims and claims inflation, all those sort of things, which I'll come on and, and, and touch on. But I guess if I think about it, uh, yeah, there's some common themes here. You've got um, uh, you've got the regulatory environment, and these are in no order. But you've got the regulatory environment, and they will come on and talk about customer duty. But there is no doubt that the regulatory environment is causing um, uh, some major challenges to insurers and to brokers in terms of how they behave around customers. Um, so that would be one area. I think the second area is the economic environment. Uh, you know, it's been a you know a fairly benign economic environment for years and years and years. So you kind of you know that, that's how it was for everybody. So you didn't kind of have to rock the boat too much, and you just kind of delivered another year's profit. Then all of a sudden, you know, the, the spook of inflation is back, you know, economic growth is down uh, and people are having to rethink business models, do all sorts of things to respond to that. And of course, um, which links to my third point as um, the, the economic environment is not just affecting the businesses, you know, it's the lifeblood of your, your business, it's your customers. So I think you, know, you 
the third the third area where customer behavior change customer the customer being impacted by the environment is is something that is infecting infecting impacting every insurer and and something that i think in the past year we've been policy led and you know, kind of said we've done the right thing for customers but time and time again sadly the industry i love has been proven to be to be wanting we've still not done enough and i think we're still feature on the low list of businesses that in customers trust because you know we're very happy to take the money but people believe that when things go wrong you know we're going to not be um, there there for them and we still haven't changed that um trajectory so i think customer um would be uh, the third one fourth one uh, is um, I think people see this as a kind of real here and now dramatic threat, but I think um, technology is, is enabling or um, hampering change in, in, in insurance businesses. And I think that a lot of people talk about it as if it's the piece of kit or the software. I think for me, it's about that combination of data and technology that together, if you can get it right, can make you stand out as a business coupled with giving the customers the right experience etc um but i think increasingly if you are not able to get your basic technology to do what you need it to do and get your data in a shape that allows you to have deep analytics about your customer behaviors your profitability or whatever um, then the chances are you, you are not going to be you know around forever so i think here in summary, I think the, the 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 four keys are the FCA regulation, the economic environment, customers, and technology. Yeah, and I think you've touched on a couple of things that we're going to dive into a little bit there. Main thing, one being one being customer, one being digital landscape, you know, which ties closely to technology. But you know, we'll we'll loop back to the consumer piece. We're going to go into consumer duty, and I want to get your thoughts on that and how that's going to actually affect the industry. Yeah. Um, but then we'll, we'll also look back off the back of that and kind of go into where the opportunity is for some for maybe some some insurers. But yeah. what's, what are your thoughts on consumer duty at the moment and how do you think that's going to affect the industry? So I think um, for many, it feels like a bit of a pylon. I mean, we've had, you know, the rule changes around product governance. We've had you know all sorts of things. And, and remember, you've not only got the the customer element of you know regulation and governments you've got data governance you've got all sorts of other things going on at the same time but i think the fca um i think i i hear too much people saying kind of the fca the fca that and actually if you stand back from it and think well why do we have to have the fca producing such complex and comprehensive you know requirements of insurers and brokers to do the right thing for customers which is what the customer duty is all about it to me you know it's time and time again the industry that has failed to do the right thing for customers has meant that the regulator has just had to you know up its pace and to get the industry to change to get the industry to do the right thing and genuinely to put the customer at the heart of their business and i think um, you know, so, so I'm I'm not in the camp of you know the SCA are bad. I mean the SCA. I just think it's sad. I think that you know had we better regulated ourselves, then we wouldn't need a a interventionist regulator that you know is is forcing industry to do some of the things that it's doing. And I think you know, what's interesting when we pick up on the technology point, the regulator is forcing businesses to actually look at their own data and it's 
when you when you stand back from it and think, you know, why are the why are businesses finding it so hard to produce the returns that the FCA want on customer duty or product governance? It's because they don't do it. They don't use their data to really understand and analyze their business. And actually, if you look at what of those what are all those you know, customer duty returns asking for, it's tell me how you look at your business from a data-driven point of view and work out whether you are doing the right thing for customers. And I think from an end-to-end perspective, um, the other thing that customer duty is doing, partly because of the way it's doing cross-cutting, partly the way it thinks, it is about what is the end-to-end customer experience, not how great was the sales process. It really is thinking about a customer from their entire journey. What is it like? So it's all well and good to make it easy to buy and have snappy, interesting websites and discounts and God knows what else people have been up to. And then you get the moment of truth. One of those is, um, you, you know, I want to make a change or I want to do something different. And then all these fees and charges appear that customers you know, either ignored or weren't made clear about. You know, good example. Or, you know, the industry says, look, I'm going to let you buy online. I'm going to let you buy any which way you want. So you can come into our business and we'll sell you a policy. But if you want to cancel, you can phone my crappy call center that is out of service. Um, and you know, then I'll take your instruction, which is, I think, completely unacceptable. So some of the parts in here are just simply, it's got to be, you know, when you design these things, designing something that is just as easy to buy to exit, because the customers, whatever anybody believes, that, that, that there was this belief for years that by putting a barrier in to customers exiting, like do a different channel, call us, whatever, that these brilliant experts will talk me out of my decision um, and do something. Well, the data never has supported that. You know, it really hasn't. The expensive thing to do doesn't save the money. And by the time the customers got through to your call center, usually they're so fed up, they're absolutely determined to leave you. And you know, you know, I think you should let the customer go as long as you're sure they've understood why or you haven't screwed up on your pricing renewal. And then you have the data about the customer. You know, it doesn't go immediately to say, sorry, you left. I'm really just, what could we have done better? What more could we do? How do we use the data? So I think that element's important. I think the other thing is we've treated customers like homogenous masses and big, broad buckets of customers and or very subjective views of who our customers are. So we make an assumption about they're all like this. And often that like this is like me is what we really mean. And actually, when you hold the mirror up, uh, as I've done a few times in some of my businesses, with some proper analysis of your customer base, they are not like you. They are different from you. And there's many different subsets of subsets of those. And you need to really understand that, because if you think some broad marketing approach, I'll give you the classic when I was at, um, uh, I shouldn't, shouldn't name selling caravan insurance. We had advertising on our website for blokes with caravans and lots of pictures of blokes standing by their caravan looking like you know, um, superheroes of, of look at me. The vast majority of caravan insurance at the time was bought by women. So no one had 
actually thought, well, whoa, 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 hang on a minute. There's just a massive assumption that it's blokes with caravans. And just, that, that, it's a very obvious and simple one, but you know, so, so all of your adverts of pictures of blokes ain't gonna work to your buyers. And, and that's my point really. I think that that's, that's just a kind of marketing amusing one when you get to um, vulnerable customers and people with different difficulties that not understanding that can be very hard. So, I mean, everyone cites, you know, hearing, but mental incapacity, whatever the kind of right word is for that, can be very difficult for customers unless your staff can understand that or your channel can understand it. Again, back to what the FCI I think is really trying to do, written in tortuous and difficult FCA words, is just do the right thing for your customer at all stages of, of the journey. And I think to your to your data point, I think you get, you made some really valuable points there. I think data often isn't understood in multiple industries, not just the insurance industry. I think I talk, I talk to multiple multiple industries on a monthly basis, and it, it is paramount that data isn't understood properly, especially payments data. You know, understanding where are your payments coming from what payment methods are being used or what demographics are your actual customers you know how old are they where are they buying from what's their local payment method how long are they on the site for before they want to pay how long all of this is data that just isn't understood by businesses and i think that's a wider thing which we could you know maybe explore on another podcast but for this one i think you're really bang on the money with data it's never quite understood no it, uh, i i think I, and I think the problem being is, um, um, and the consultants are going to hate me, um, they create a big drama out of this and a big bill and lots of work and all this sort of stuff, as opposed to, you know, how do you eat the elephant, you know, one bite at a time? You know, you're never going to wake up in the morning and say, I'm going to transform all my data because it's, it's a marathon job, but you don't know what you're transforming it for. So what's the question you're trying to answer? For me, often, you know, there's, the, the, the work on data goes the wrong way around. We must get our data right and then our business will be better. No, no, no. Unless you know what question you want to answer, you could have all the data in the world, but it won't help you drive your business. So I do think there's a little bit of, you know, we've, we've, we've got to the point of everybody's now saying data debt will come on to digital, which I think is another nonsense word, but data is important. But I think we've gone from data is important to, you know, you've got to get it into this shape and quality and whatever. Um, and people, people tend to like think, oh, that's going to cost me too much money. I can't afford it. So they ignore it and don't do anything. Whereas, you know what, just getting some simple information about a customer as opposed to policy is not a difficult thing to do. To actually know how many policies your customers hold with you that very few brokers can actually answer, you know, is a very straightforward thing to do. So that would actually make a difference so that when you're talking to your customer, you do know easily what they've got. And they also know easily what they've got. That would make a difference. And then you could use some of that information to look at the gaps. So how many customers have got this, but haven't got it. You, you can do that data now. There's so many easy tools out there to be able to do this. But you're not going to get there if you say, well, unless I have everything perfect about every single customer, I can't do data analysis. That's just nonsense. 
and I think looking looking for looking for perfection in anything is <laughs> is leading the blind. It, it really is. You can't find yeah. it. Um, you can only deal with what you've got. And loop, looping back to again, just back onto the consumer duty piece. Do you see any opportunity, immediate opportunity or long term opportunity from from the whole process? Well, I think I think there are a few things that come out of it. I think, um, I think one is it will drive the consolidation of um, brokers. And there are a number of reasons. I mean, you've got a lot of you know, you know, middle-aged people looking to retire, running broking businesses, of which there's 1,700 still in the UK. So whoever says consolidation over is nonsense. Um, but there's a lot of them still around. And many of the people I'm talking to about their businesses have said, you know, they want to get some value out of the business they've built over many years. That's their baby. Um, and they're finding, uh, you know, the SDA regulation and the need to kind of respond and, you know, do things too hard. And it's not fun. I, I, the number of times I heard it's not fun anymore. It doesn't feel like the quote, good old days. And I can't make my own decisions. I have to justify everything I do. Um, and I'm not saying any of these people did anything empirically wrong. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying it's just a different mindset from quite an entrepreneurial one of setting up my business and kind of doing it the way I want to do it to one where you know, the industry is now requiring a degree of, yeah, yes, entrepreneurship, but you know, people who understand governance and understand regulation, understand what you're required to do as a regulated business. And I think that is driving people to say, no more, I don't want to do this anymore. Let me let me go. So I think that's that's one. Um, what are the advantages? I think um, uh, there are a few areas. I think I think that probably the key one is if if you think about and stand back to what what's the regulator saying? You know, do the right thing for your customer. Make it easy to buy. Make it easy to change. Make it easy to do this. I think there is then a there is bound to be a winning um, strategy around that, and I'm not saying we should go back to the 1950s and reintroduce all of that, but I do think that blend of getting the human touch right with the simplification of the admin that the customers really don't want to call us about, um, uh, using data to give them better value to to show more that you can do and do well to help customers through things like, you know, particularly in the broker space, to you know, help customers through the claims journey. I think what customer duty is doing is deliberately forcing the, the distribution chain to talk to each other in ways it's never done before. I mean, I remember meetings with, you know, underwriters on panels where the only discussion was how much volume are you going to give me? How much margin are you going to give me? Let's have that meeting, go to the pub, happy days, we're done. Um, you know, there was no discussion on loss ratios, for example, unless it was so bad that, you know, the insurer was talking about leaving. There was no discussion about customers and no discussion about, you know, if you asked an insurer, how many of our customers have got claims with you? Why would you want to know that? We manage that. Well, well hang on a minute. You know, we, we own the customer. I don't mean own in a sort of, you know, odd way. I mean, you know, they, they are our customers, it's our customer data, you're providing them a claim service on the back of the underwritten policy, but actually the customer's going to call us. And therefore, all we can do is say, oh, your insurer is X, please call them. That's a horrible experience. Um, 
so I think that's an area where there's opportunity to to really bring on a better customer experience, uh, and and particularly around claims where it's still a massive massive frustration. So I think you know, there are a few things, but I think at this moment in time, it's feeling. Uh, yeah, probably in a year or two's time, we'll look back and think, you know, that was the right thing to do. I think for many, it's feeling very heavy on the governance reporting, you know, um, uh, part of it. And my fear is we've got quite a lot of people thinking, well, if I send in the reports to the FCA, I've got customer duty in and failing to understand that I think at the top level, this is the biggest cultural change. That's what they're really talking about. You guys and girls have chosen not to do the right things for customers. So we're kind of forcing this cultural change on you by making you do things and actually making you think and making you demonstrate that when you say, I'm selling you this you know, I gap cover you know, car insurance policy that you know, you know is there because it's making lots of money and it's actually not good value and it pays out sometimes not very well you know and can you wake up at night and think oh my god am i doing the right thing for customers and you know i know for example with gap in particular it uh, you know, i was very uncomfortable about it and we stopped doing it but most won't most will say oh well it's kind of okay and they'll always quote the customer that has been paid out as opposed to you know those that those that don't so i think you know it is driving a much better uh, your businesses and their management need a much better understanding of you know what they're dri doing driven by more than just economics more than you know is is this can we buy this you know home emergency cover for x and sell it for y and just say oh these people are great they do a good job in making it how do you know how have you proven that because you're not being asked to do an in-depth you know audit of everything you've just been asked to say how what questions have you asked how have you documented it do you understand it? Then you do, when you do say to a customer, you've bought these five things, you know that they are good value. And, you know, I think partly where, where can the upside come from? It can be um, in, in being able to better demonstrate value so we don't spend all of our time just competing on price. You know, because that's where we've driven ourselves, you know, partly by the success of the aggregators, but that's probably because of the laziness of the brokers. But actually now you think, well, actually, because of the work we've done, we are absolutely solid in our view that, yeah, you can go to M Mount Insurance Company registered outside of the UK and you could get a significant discount. But I'll tell you, when it goes wrong, when you want to pay claims, all this sort of stuff, you know, nah, not going to happen. You want to be with us because this is the vetting we've done. This is the value, but we ain't going to be the cheapest. And if you want advice about this, you know, you can make your own decision, but we will we will give you advice, but we're going to charge you for it because that's our time and effort to make sure you've got the right thing. So some opportunities in there, I think. Yeah, I think I agree with that last point. I think there's, there is an element of, of price in this whole thing. And, and as a business, you should be justified to de determine the price that you want to charge for your service based on what you think you deserve for that service. And if yeah. you've done due diligence and you've done extra, extra service and extra work to make that customer journey better, why shouldn't you scream and shout about it and say that this is the reason why we're, we're willing to charge you for it? Um, um, yep. you, you did mention it as an opportunity. 
around consolidation of brokers. Now, I'm mindful that there might not be just insurance, you know, people listening to this podcast. So can you just put into a bit of layman's terms what you mean by that and any sort of potential benefits or actual drawbacks of that process? That was a long um, question. So, <laughs> yeah, no, so, 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 so just very quickly, um, you know, the differentiation predominantly between an insurance company and the broker. Very simply, you know, the insurance company takes the risk it underwrites the policy, it will pay out on the claim. That's by and large what insurance companies do. So they have a balance sheet and have capital to do that. If you're a broker, what you typically do is you promote or, or offer um, an insurance company's products. And what you do is you look at a range of, so your job is to assess um, the customer's needs properly across and really understand what it is they want cover for. And then, then, allow the customer to be guided with information about a range of different insurers that could support them get that you know get that right level of cover so it's it's more like i i guess it's like an ifa for example you know that they are offering um uh, i'm going to say few offer advice these days mostly it's a what they call a non-advised sale so they are um giving you all the information you need to make your decision but actually there's still plenty around that that are are offer, offering advice so um brokers if you think about you know the uk market and where they come from these were um um how do i say it um mum and pop shops um not please the americans but um they, they were relatively small businesses in the town and it was you know, the insurance broker. And you went to the insurance broker and they would look up a whole lot, you know, sit and have a chat with you, you know, listen to what you need. They have friends from all the insurance companies and I don't mean friends in a bad way, but people they knew and they would put together your insurance offering. Um, and there was one in every town. So there were thousands of them and there've been waves of consolidation of them. Um, many, many of the insurance broken, bro broking branches have closed because customers don't want to go into a broker but they like speaking to a broker they like to get the advice they like to talk to someone who's been around a very long time often in broking and understands the market very well um but uh, these are the businesses where i said before they are hugely being impacted by the regulator environment by um yeah they want to retire they want to get some value and what the financial markets have seen is that if you can, you know, the game really in insurance these days is scale. The bigger, the bigger, in some aspects, the bigger, the better. So if you can wander into an insurer, you know, with 2,000 customers, um, they'll say, interesting. If you wander in with 20,000 or 2 million, then they then they are really interested. So you can get better margins, better rates. So that drive, those factors start to drive consolidation. Um, and, and I think the turbocharging we've seen is the, the regulatory latest, if, if you know, I wouldn't describe it as a burden, but some people see it that way, or they don't have the capability for regulatory uh, change and technology change, which is coming at equal pressure. You know, they're wanting to sell, but they're not. They're fearful of selling. I don't know directly to a private equity business because they're not city people. You know, they think they're going to be absolutely um, stuffed and all those sorts of things. So they're looking for other ways in which they can do it. And my personal view is that there is still. A great deal of opportunity some are saying oh there's nothing left and it's not very interesting i think there's still you know plenty left and doing it in the right way means that you know, you can you know the owner of that business can still stay around you know they don't they just don't have the burden 
of of running the admin of the of an insurance broking business anymore. They can do the thing they love, talk to customers, you know, renew policies, whatever it may be, grow, sell stuff, whatever. And without, I mean, clearly they have to do it properly in a regulated way. But the actual burden of governance and regulation are things that you have to have. They don't need to worry about. So it doesn't necessarily force a retirement. You can have some sort of collective arrangement that allows you to work. You know, your 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 customers and policies end up owned by some new structure, but you could, you could hang around but be paid for those customers so that you've got your nest egg or your retirement fund. And 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 I think there's still a long way to go on that. Awesome. I think the I wanted to. I'm conscious of time, um, but we've probably got about five to ten minutes left. I want to talk about technology. I want to talk about I want to talk about the innovation within the sector and and what's to come. You know, what have you done in the past that's allowed you to, or, or, or you know, leveraging technology and making things easier for us as as people and as you know employees. You know, so touching on I don't know how important the right platform you are, you're choosing. For, for your for your insurance business, you know, so we're talking the open GIs, the actresses of the world. How important are these decisions? And 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 just tell me a little bit about the technology in the space and where you see the yeah. innovation going. Um, I guess before we get down into the platforms, I think you know technology and insurance. I mean, it, it's we have seen so many promises of transform the industry by technology, and yet very little delivered. And I was talking to someone this week about, you know, whatever happened to Lemonade? I mean, that was, you know, Californian-driven, we're going to be different, marketing hype, you know, uh, you know, turned out to be just that. You know, if you look at its numbers today, it looks like, smells like, is a good old-fashioned insurance business with the same worries of, you know, um, loss ratios and capital and you know all that sort of stuff and the stuff that it claimed to be innovative innovative around in its early days and we're talking about a few years ago not lifetime just seems to have have disappeared um so so i think there's been a lot of bs around some of this you know we're going to transform um and, and the second area where people got obsessed about transforming was how you buy stuff you know, the, the early transformers are obviously and the, and probably the, the the most significant technology change I think we've seen in a generation is the aggregators. I think that's the first time you saw uh, an industry reshaped by the advent of aggregators. And it was 25 years ago, I think, more um, when, when that happened. So I think that's been true change. I think the rest has been relatively um, um bitty and i think that's for several reasons one is uh, the technology in insurance companies and in broking businesses is um old <laughs> and much of it is written 30 year ago um much of it is hard coded much of it is sitting in servers you know and and, and all that sort of stuff and the data <coughs> points weren't considered as valuable as they are today. So you've typically got poor data on hard to change systems. So it makes introducing um, or even experimenting with um, innovation uh, very hard, very hard indeed. Um, I, I think the next point, and I think this has a read across to the to the techno banks. Um, I think there's a belief in some of the tech entrepreneurs that you actually 
you, 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 the banks have got it wrong somehow, that you don't need to be a bank. You just need to be good at tech and smart and marketing savvy. And I think you've seen so many time after time you know, where you know, look at all the hype and noise and you know, I, I don't need a call center. My customers don't need this. The, uh, you know, and, and what they've really done is built a really nice app. And, and then to be a bank, you need more than that. And my, my favorite question for all of them is, and it's all the moment and truth question, what happens when your customer dies? And you know, that's a 101 question for me. It sounds absolutely you know, morbid, but they all will, <laughs> whether they're with you or not. And something has to happen. And you tell me how your, your protected app that's owned by Eric um, is going to be, how is Eric's wife going to deal with this? You know, or you know, he, he actually ran the joint account for them both and he's now died. And you know, what, what is going to happen here? So I think, uh, and, and, and lending money is another great example. You know, anyone can lend money. The damn hard thing is getting it back. And, you know, an app to get money back. You know, anyone that's ever tried getting money back from people that don't want to pay you, no, an app ain't going to work. You know, you're going to need to do some, <laughs> some other things sometimes to, to get your money back from those that don't want to repay you. So I think, you know, but we have seen some interesting, interesting things. I think Lacquer, the bike insurers, have done a really interesting job in a new model. Um, I think by Miles, um, which has just been bought, I think, by Direct Line, you know, a very interesting. Uh, many of these things are probably product innovation rather than changing the sort of the S curve of the industry. Um, uh, and, and I guess, you know, what people keep arguing and, and, and saying is that this is all about growth and i think again it's the misleading word growth that causes the problem typically insurance general insurance goes up and down with the economy you know or the number of people in houses and the number of people you do not have you know suddenly you know everybody's you know not driving anymore or we're doubling the number of cars it's typically a low growth but very stable industry so let's stop pretending and and my fear with many of these sort of fast growth um, businesses is they just therefore haven't understood. And I always believe if you can outperform the market three or four times in a market full of pretty bloody smart people, then what's really happening here? Are you cutting corners? Are you doing the wrong thing? And the best example, of course, is you know, what we've seen in terms of money laundering. You know, the, the tech banks, didn't didn't bother quite so much to worry about that because why should we do that? Um, so they were winning customers and deposits, and it's all looking rosy in the garden. And then the regulator went, ah, ah, "Hang on a minute, we don't like the sound of some of your customers. What are you doing to protect yourself from them?" Oh, well, we didn't. Um, so I think that it's it's naive in the extreme to to be a uh, you know entrepreneurial tech starter to say. You know, the, 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 the lunatics that have been running this industry for years are nonsense uh, and they don't know what they're doing. And I'm going to bring in some innovative thing that will transform it. So, uh, you know, but I think tech and data you know, do have uh, you know, a very, very important place to be. Um, and I think we're still, I mean, it's terrifying to say this, that I think a lot of the tech spend has been on coping with admin. You know, it's been you know, a little bit of channel front end and all that sort of stuff, but it's been by and large, you know, the industry would be employing, you know, in the UK, probably 250,000 more people than it does today because it, it was very paper based. It was very, 
you know, lacked automation, and I think uh, lacked robotic technology. I think a lot of where the investment been has actually, by and large, stopped people needing to grow their people base to do relatively m menial tasks. Ha has there been a lot of customer innovation? Mm, some, some around channel, um, some around buying, uh, buying abilities. Um, is there a long way to go? Yes, there is. So do I feel um, excited by that? Yes. I think if you can get it right, as I've said, as an experience, the data, you know, customers shouldn't be being asked 150 million questions when the data is out there. That should make the experience easier. You know, why do, why do we do that? You know, insurers should be able to send you the price of your renewal because they should know. Yeah, you know, there's so many things that could make this whole thing. And I think there's a potential for innovating around insuring me as opposed to what car do I drive? Where, where do, do I live? I appreciate the insurers have to know what their risks of total loss are going to be and all those sort of things. But I do think there'll be some very interesting analytics around if you look at someone who generally drives fairly carefully, who generally doesn't claim on their home insurance, they're probably a reasonable risk profile for anything they do. They're not going to buy travel insurance to go and make fake claims. They are typically you know, trustworthy people. Um, and I think once you can get into that behavioral data, um, and then wouldn't it be great to say, you know, you don't have to renew 15 policies for everything that you own. What you need to do is just pay a standing order of X a month that will vary for you, and that will cover you for everything. Um, and, and that is a very long way from where we are today. We still chop it up by insurance discipline and thinking, understandably so, you need data to understand what your risks are as an insurance business. But I cannot believe it's beyond the wit of us now to move to a insure me, make all this easier and and you know, build a level of trust that says, whether it's your home or your car, whatever, you're not gonna be at home. You, you, I mean, you'd be very unfortunate, I guess, if you were burgled while you were driving your car, could happen, but you know, typically, <laughs> typically not. So I think there could be some quite innovation to come. I think we're starting to see some of the tech startups um, and those are kind of beyond first base being bought by some of the more established businesses. And that's where I think some of the magic could happen of taking you know, a, a, a business that's still relatively analog, putting a true digital one um, alongside it and with it. And if you can get the cultural right, which is usually the reason it all falls apart, you know, money and culture are usually the two big problems here, then we might see some really, really interesting stuff. You know, as innovation, you know, as direct line was the telephony insurer. I mean, that was that was a true innovation, you know, in its day. Um, you know, Swinton and I used to work with the first people to advertise on TV. So again, you know, lots of we can see pockets of them. I don't think I've seen an awful like Bailey that's not at scale in materially impacting customers. I'm going to go. I think that's a, a great piece of content there, and very and there's so much value in there. I'm going to go off piste as to the topics that we discussed, just off the back of what you said earlier around that word growth. I think it can be quite a toxic word sometimes, yep. especially in our climate. And I think when we think about growth, it's about actually putting growth into perspective. So if you're looking at growth and you're expecting to see your graph to go yeah. up and always be green, but actually it affects. So if you're for the last three months, you've seen your graph and your sales and your kind of your average sales rate go up. But then, you know, 
given the current climate, you start to see it go flat. You might make a panic decision and make rash decisions. However, if you look at other businesses, mm. they might start to see it go down. So your flat yeah. is actually pretty good. So it's about understanding and putting that into perspective. So the last thing that I want to cover quickly, and I know you want to go, is what advice would you potentially have for people that are in that space? I know you've got a lot of experience in running companies and managing teams. Keeping that growth mindset, but without having a toxic culture around it. Yeah. I think this is a really important topic that I don't I, think I agree. And I, think, I think it all boils down to start with what is your definition of growth? And if you do not put the word mm -hmm. profitable in front of that, then you're on a hiding for nothing. And I think, let me give you the example, that, that there is an obsession around volume. And a lot of people have articulated yeah. their growth by, look how many policies I've got. You know, and therefore, I, and don't get mm -hmm. me wrong, it's, it's a very poor business that just goes backwards. That's not a place to be. That's just a business in decline and you, you can't have that. But you're right, if you're flat and, and you know, you know what, what you tend to have is a, a panic around flat and people then do silly things. Or you get an opportunity to pile on a load of business for some reason or another. New insurer, new this, new that, new, new whatever. And off you go to the races without truly understanding. You've got all the issues around growth of I've got to hire more people, I've got to do this, that and the other. You know, and maybe that growth does come. And that's when it can be really dangerous because if then you're not analysing that very closely, you know, particularly insurance, you know, you, your growth comes in year one and you let's say you've heavily discounted something and therefore you think you've done a really good job. But in year two, the price is going to go up because that's what the insurers are now saying you've got to pay and you lose all of those customers. Now, you, you, this is where you're in trouble. So you filled your call center with people to answer the calls. You know, you've got to deal with the renewals, which become cancellations. So you've seen all this money go on. You've got all these people, your costs have inflated, and then it's going away as quickly as you put it on. Time and time and time again have I seen that. And that, that was my point is when you see people's growth rates that are outside the norms, then so, and, and there's no obvious sign of technology brilliance, product brilliance or whatever, then something is odd happening. And if, if that is heavy discounting or getting your price wrong, which I would argue it is, then you are just going to that is going to bite you in the bum. It really is. It's going to come back and haunt you because, you know, you'll have one year where you're running around singing Kumbaya and pay everybody bonuses. And then you're going to have a year where you start to fire people because you can't. There's not enough work for them. You can't afford them. And those customers have gone away. You know, I think you know, we, we are uh, you know, that, that slight link point here is we get obsessed by new business. If we had got the same obsession around keeping customers, we'd all be in a better place because your growth is keeping as many customers and just topping up the difference with a bit. The problem we've got is we've reached a situation where in some lines of business, you're only keeping 60% of those customers for more than a year, uh, for, 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 less, you know, for one year. And therefore, to be flat, you've got to grow your customer base by 40%. And to grow, you've got to do even more. So that's 50% growth. Year on year, ain't going to happen. <laughs> it can happen or you give it away no, and it doesn't exactly. at a policy count level but it doesn't at profitability level anyhow that's my um, um it's a yes. wonderful topic 
Yes, it is. And you know what? I'd actually have, I'd like to invite you back yep. just to talk about this topic and maybe get someone else from internally acquired uh, um, uh, to, to kind of join us and have a good conversation around this because it's yep. such an interesting topic to me. Um, and I'd, I'd really like to dig into, dig into it more. But look, we're out of time. What I want to do is just give you a quick second to tell people if they want to get hold of you, how would they do it? I know I get hold of you and we speak regularly on LinkedIn. Uh, so please feel free to kind of share your full name and, and where people can get um, of you. I'm Richard Bevan and you can get hold of me on um, LinkedIn uh, and or um, my email which is richard.bevan at unlikegroup.co Awesome. Look, I really appreciate that. Thank you so much for your time, Richard. And just before you go, uh, please make sure that you are liking the podcast. Make sure that you're getting involved, getting involved in the conversation. Please follow our LinkedIn page. You know, we're, we're always posting content around insurance, payments and everything to do with acquired.com. So please feel free to follow our LinkedIn page, get in touch if you've got any questions. And we really, really appreciate any type of feedback to do with the podcast or our content. So please get involved in the conversation. And we look forward to seeing you in the next episode. Thank you.